our journey through the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, King Solomon's autobiography of his time living far away from God and his conclusions. He did this grand experiment. I think I'm going to find uh, what it would be like to just live life totally apart from God. I'm going to walk away from God's word. I'm just going to do my own thing and I'm going to try to find meaning and purpose and satisfaction in life apart from the God of the Bible apart from Jesus Christ. And his conclusion, and he says this 38 times, meaningless, empty, futile. So that, that's the conclusion. When, when he went out and he tried to find happiness and joy and meaning and purpose under the sun, apart from God Almighty, emptiness, meaninglessness, it's a futile attempt. That is his discovery. And remember that Solomon had a net worth north of $2 trillion. So when Solomon leaned into this grand experiment, he had wealth and power and influence that you and I would never have. So he was able to experiment in a way that we never could. And yet 38 times, he says over and over and over again, Ecclesiastes 12.8, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Now last week we looked at Solomon's first conclusion. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse number 1. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remember uh, your creator, and oh by the way he has a name because of Colossians 1 and verse 16, we know that his name is Jesus Christ. He's the creative one of the Trinity. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you'll say, you know what, <laughs> I'm just not enjoying life anymore. I find no pleasure in them. Pause. First conclusion. Daily remember Jesus Christ, your creator, and do it. Start doing it when you're still young. Remember Jesus before you start making those choices that are going to affect the rest of your life. Because sometimes when we remember our creator later and later in life, we've already made a lot of choices and a lot of our choices aren't so good because we weren't walking and leaning hard into Jesus Christ. Remember your creator before you choose your college and your career path. Make sure you're leaning hard into Jesus before you choose someone to spend the rest of your life with. Because you realize that choice is going to follow you around for the next 40, 50, 60, 70 years. Live strong for Jesus before you start having children. Why? Give me your eyes. Because they're going to follow your example. And if you're leaning hard into Jesus, they'll follow that. And if you're drifting and lukewarm and far from Jesus, they'll follow that lead as well. Lean hard into Jesus when you're still young. And now today we're going to look at uh, the final conclusion that Solomon shares with us. And I would call this big idea number two. If you're able, would you please stand with me as we read out loud? This is the conclusion of Solomon's grand experiment 
We're going to start in verse 9 of chapter 12, read down to the very end of the book. Ready? Here we go. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails, given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there's no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a gift. Thank you for inspiring King Solomon to record his journey for us. And Lord, we are reminded, just like the hymn says, we're prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. <laughs> I pray specifically right now for those who are wandering and straying and have drifted away from your son. And I suspect some of us standing right now in your church, that's true. We're here. We're looking good. We've showed up. But the truth is, we're not daily leaning into Jesus. We've wandered. We've strayed. We're no longer lining our life up with your book. So Lord, I, I pray specifically for those who that's true for them today. Lord, would you show them clearly why that's so dangerous? Would you, would you show us, Lord, why uh, we should pay attention today, especially if we're drifting and wandering away from your son, Jesus? I also, Lord, want to pray for some in the church family here today who are hurting and in pain. Lord, we lift up Jack and Linda Coates right now as they grieve the loss of their son, Kevin. And Lord, I pray that we as a family will love and support and come alongside Jack and Linda right now in their time of grief and sorrow. Lord, I pray as well for Bill and Carol as they wrestle with Bill's cancer. Lord, again, as family, help us to do our part and be there for them in their time of need as well. Lord, I want to pray for some parents and grandparents who are wrestling with children and grandchildren who've wandered and drifted from your son Jesus. And right now, Lord, they're acting out and they're in trouble. And Lord, I pray for those parents. I pray for those grandparents. Give them wisdom. Give them guidance. Lord, help them to speak truth and model truth with lots of love and grace. And I certainly pray for those prodigals. Wake them up, Lord. Help them to realize, Lord, that the uh, pig slop they're eating is really nasty. Help them to come to their senses and come running home. That's what we're asking for, Lord. I pray for Pastor Jason Ritchie at the East Jordan location this morning, Lord. I pray for Pastor Joe Bono up at the Northridge location. I pray for Pastor Roberto at our sister church in Derivo, Haiti. Lord, fill them with your spirit. 
Fill them with your power, Lord. I pray as they preach that lives would be changed. And I pray for that today in your church at Walloon as well. Speak. Lord, we're listening. We're ready to respond. And all the church family at Walloon Lake said with one united voice, Before he presents his big idea number two, Solomon wants to tell us how he prepared this book we call Ecclesiastes. He's, he's going to tell us, I, I didn't just throw it together at the last minute. This wasn't like an all-nighter that, oh no, I, I, I got I, I to gotta get this written down because my report is due tomorrow. Uh-uh. He, he writes in a careful and a meticulous Matter, manner. Verse 9, here's what he says. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and he searched out and he set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. Good words about how to write when you care about how people respond. He had a shepherd's heart. He, he, he didn't care about appearing like an intellectual. He didn't care about winning arguments. Solomon says, I, I wrote this to change hearts, to appeal to people. I arranged this book, Solomon explains, because he cares about the eternal destinies of his readers why he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. He pondered, he prayed, he searched out, he arranged the book so that we could catch the valuable lessons that he's taught us as we work through the book of Ecclesiastes. So he, he didn't just throw it together, it was careful. It was arranged very selectively, very carefully. Now we move on, here's the value of the book of Ecclesiastes, verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads, their collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. A goad is an ancient cattle prod, excuse me. Uh, in, in other words, uh, Probably not fancy, uh, but it was usually a stick that maybe was sharpened on the end. And if you had a sheep or an ox that kind of liked to wander and stray, you'd go over and you'd take your sharpened stick and you'd, you'd give them a little prod and get them back in line. Hey, uh, I, I don't want my sheep, I don't want my ox getting injured or getting killed. Again, he's saying... The book of Ecclesiastes, Genesis to Revelation, is at times like a sharp stick. Ouch. And I suspect sometimes when you come to church on Sunday, you're saying, why are you poking me, Pastor Jeff? Why, 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 are, you, why are you giving me the sharp stick? Because God's word prevents us from harm, prevents us from disaster. It's like grabbing the arm and yanking it back of your two-year-old who's about to run into the road. You're not trying to harm them. You're trying to protect them. You're trying to make sure that they don't experience disaster. God's word is like 
a, a loving, kind, sharp stick to get our attention and to get us back on the right track. Make sense? He says it's, it's not just like a goad, it's like firmly embedded nails. Um, those are stakes that you would pound into the ground to keep your tent in place. Does that make sense? Got that? Uh, any of you got a tent at home? Okay, you yeah. yeah, this is you can you can participate today. Uh, uh, got a tent, and now you're saying, you know what? They, we're liable to get a storm. We're liable to have some high winds. You you pound the stakes firmly into the ground. He says God's word is just like firmly embedded stakes into the ground. Why? Keep your tent in place. When the storms come your way, uh, God's word brings stability and security to our lives. That, that's the reason we have the book. It, we pound deeply God's word into our lives so that when the storms of life come our way, weather forecast, they're coming your way. <laughs> they're coming my way. When the storms come, we're prepared and we're ready to deal. Why? Because we took the time to pound God's word into our lives, into our hearts, into our minds. Look at the last few words of verse 11. It's interesting. Uh, it says, given by one shepherd. All of these words found in Ecclesiastes and in Genesis to Revelation are given by one shepherd. Two times that phrase is used in the Old Testament. Both times referred to King David. In John chapter 10 and verse 16, the only time in the New Testament given by one shepherd, it, it refers to Jesus Christ. Give me your eyes. Solomon is pointing here to the promised offspring of King David. He's, he's talking here, given by one shepherd, Jesus Christ. And he's saying, ultimately, it's the one shepherd, Jesus Christ, who brings us his book. In other words, Genesis to Revelation, Old Testament is looking towards Jesus Christ. New Testament, looking back to the cross and the empty tomb, Jesus Christ. So God's word is given by Jesus Christ, and it's all about Jesus Christ. It's given, and it focuses on that one shepherd. Make sense? Verse 12, we move on. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Any, any additions to the book. Of making many books, there's no end, and much study wearies the body. Can I get an amen there? You can read yourself to death. You can study yourself to death. He's not wrong, uh, saying it's wrong to read and study and research, but he's saying, ultimately, keep your nose in the book. Remember that Jesus Christ is the secret of life. Knowing Jesus, living for Jesus, leaning daily into Jesus is the secret to life. And oh, by the way, how do we know how to walk with and lean into and rely on Jesus? It's knowing God's Word. So when I know God's Word, I, I come to know Jesus Christ, 
the secret of life. And that's why we, every Sunday, study God's Word. I told you this before. First Sunday, I don't open up God's Word. Please let that be my last Sunday. Because I promise you, you don't want to be hearing all about Jeff's opinions and ideas. And oh, I just, I dreamed this one up this last week. Great. No, no. We're gathered to read and study and apply God's Word. That's why we're here this morning. We worship Him in song, and now we worship Jesus as we study His book. And we dig out the secret of life. And the secret of life is, give me, give me your attention, it's knowing Jesus. It's living for Jesus. It's walking with Christ. It's being filled with His Spirit. It's all about God's Word. How do we know about Jesus? We know about Jesus by God's book. Verse 13. We arrive at Solomon's second major conclusion. Okay, remember the first? Chapter 12, verse 1. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. That was last week. That's his first conclusion, the big one. Uh, remember Jesus Christ when you're still young. Now, here we go. Chief conclusion number two, verse 13. Now all has been heard. You've heard me out, he says. Here's the conclusion of the matter. You ready? Drum roll, please. Want to do that? Come on. Okay, stop. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's the second major. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. It's that basic. Say it with me. Fear God and obey his commandments. That's it. It's that basic. Solomon's final conclusion. Think with me now. After decades of searching, digging into everything this world has to offer under the sun, outside of Jesus Christ and God's word, the Bible, here, here's what he says. Fear God. Our God is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's loving. He's patient. He's kind. He's merciful. Are you ready? That's the soft side. But there's another side. And our God, he's also holy and righteous and just. And when you get to the book of Revelation, he's got wrath that you don't want to mess with. We would call that the hard side. So there's, there's kind of two sides to this awesome God. And here's his conclusion, fear him. Fear him. Uh, live in reverence and awe. Make sure you keep his commandments. If we really take God seriously, if we really fear him, then we will revere and honor and fear him. We demonstrate our fear of God by obeying and keeping his commandments. We, we demonstrate that we really love and awe and reverence God by lining our life up with God's book, the Bible. John 14, 15 says it this way. If you love me, this is Jesus talking, keep my commands. You say you love me, then keep my commands. John 15, 10, if you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love. In other words, when you're keeping and lining your life up with my book, then your love, my love, will continue to flow in you. Uh, 
John 15, 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. And we say all day, oh, I love Jesus, I'm a friend of Christ. We even sing it. I am a friend of God. He's my friend. And then we're not devoted to God's word. We're not lining our life up with the commandments. And we're singing and we're saying this stuff. And we pretend that we're keeping the commands. And can I just say that that's just religious games. That's just cheap talk. Because he says very clearly, if you love Jesus, if you're a friend of Jesus, you show that by obeying his commandments. So don't, don't talk the talk if you're not walking the walk. Fear God and keep and obey his commandments. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Not just casual with my obedience, devoted in my obedience. Last part of verse 13, here's what it says. For this is the duty of all mankind. So who does that include? This is the duty of all mankind. How many people does that include? Throughout all of history. Everybody, every man, woman, child, throughout all of history, fear God and keep his commandments. Why? Why should we do that? I, I, I don't want to follow God. I don't want to obey God's word. I want to make my own rules. I want to call my own shots. I want to kind of develop my own system of belief. I want to be my own little G God. Why should we fear God and obey his commandments? Verse 14. Last verse. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing. Whether it's good or whether it's evil. Nothing escapes Nothing escapes the eyes and the judgments of Jesus Christ. Give me your eyes. Every word we speak, everything we do on the phone, everything we do on our tablets, everything we do on our computers, everything that we think is in secret, nothing escapes the eyes and the judgment. Look at it, what it says. Nothing escapes the eyes and the judgments of Jesus Christ who's recording and should be feared and obeyed. And some of you are thinking right now, whoa, 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 time out, Pastor Jeff. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, right? So all of my sin has been washed and cleansed by Jesus Christ, uh, and he did that on the cross. All of my sin, past, present, and future. Um, so turn with me quickly if you have your Bible or on your phone. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 um, Here's what it says. 1 Corinthians 3, we'll start with verse 11. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light, it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what he's been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flame. 
Okay, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. That's good. But we also have to face this judgment, which is a judgment about our works. You can go to 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 says similar things, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for us, the things done while in the body, whether good or whether they're bad. So if you're a follower of Jesus, if he's, if he's changed you from the inside out, you also, I also, am going to face judgment. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. And basically what it does is, did I build my words and my activity and my behavior on Jesus Christ? Or did I build it on my old sinful, selfish, do whatever I feel like nature? And the truth is, here's what he says, a lot of us on this day of judgment, stand. there's going to be a lot of loss. There's going to be a lot of sadness and regret because we discover I spent most of my life and I didn't do it built on Jesus Christ and His Word and filled with His Spirit. I did it in my own flesh. That's called wood, hay, and straw. And what happens to that when it's judged? Anybody? Burned up. Nothing to show for it. So that's the judgment for those who know Christ. But I need to show you one more judgment. And... Uh, this is for those who don't know Jesus Christ. Turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. My opinion, these are the most frightening and fearful words in the Bible. Revelation chapter 20, slide down to verse 11. For those who say, no thank you, I think I'm fine without Jesus and the cross and his shed blood. I, I think I'm fine without the empty tomb. I, I think I'd rather just uh, do my own thing. Then this is the judgment for everybody who rejects and says, no, thank you. You're not welcome in my life. This is the judgment for, for everyone. Verse 11, then I saw a great white throne. And him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence. And there was no place for them, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Please note what it says. The dead were judged according, verse 13, to what they had done. It's by their words, by their behavior, and there'll be no arguing, there'll be no... Uh, I, think, I think you messed up. It'll be clear. It'll be obvious. I think there'll be uh, video evidence, if you will. Every deed will be judged. That's exactly what Ecclesiastes 12, verse 14. Every deed will be brought into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or whether it's evil. 
So what's the basis for this judgment? Is your name found in the Lamb's book of life? Have you said yes to Jesus Christ? Have you said, yes, Jesus, I believe that you took my place on the cross? Yes, Jesus, I believe that your shed blood took care of my sin problem. Jesus, I believe that you took my place in the grave and early on Sunday morning, Jesus, I believe that you arose from the dead victoriously. And I believe you did that for me. And right now I receive you as Savior and Lord and King. That's the basis. And when you say yes to those facts and believe and receive Jesus by faith, your name gets written in the Lamb's book of life. And oh, by the way, I don't think there's any whiteout related to this book. It's not like, oh, you're good today, you're in, uh, not so good tomorrow, white out, you're out. It's not the hokey pokey, you don't put your right foot in, out, in, out. You're either in or you're out, and once your name gets written down, you belong to Jesus Christ. Amen. Give me your eyes. But anyone whose name is not found written in the book of life, never believed in Jesus, never believed in the cross, never accepted the shed blood of Jesus Christ for their sin problem, never believed that he arose victoriously from the tomb early Sunday morning, never said yes to those facts, never received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Are you ready? They send themselves to eternal separation from Jesus Christ. They, they choose, no thank you, I don't want that, they then therefore face eternity without what Jesus Christ has done for them, has done for us. They refuse to follow Christ. Solomon ends his book, Ecclesiastes 20 verse 14, with judgment. And God's word in Revelation here ends his book with judgment followed by new heaven and new earth. If there is anything that at times keeps me up or wakes me up, this is more likely. If you want to know what, what would wake me up in the middle of the night, here it is. You ready? It's the thought that some of you who are here every Sunday, and I'm preaching and I'm teaching and I'm sharing God's word, and it never connected with your heart and your head. And you're here every Sunday, and you know a lot about Jesus, and you know about God's Word, and you've heard these words, but somehow, someway, you just never said yes. And you're going to face Jesus Christ one day, and He's going to say, you know what, I, I never knew you. you. You knew a lot about me. You, you heard lots about my Word. You know about the cross. You know about my shed blood for you. You know about the empty tomb. But you never said yes. I never knew you away from me. You evildoer, he says. My prayer all week long has been, Oh Lord, would you wake up everybody today? Every person here today, my prayer is that you might do a little self-examination right now and ask, Lord, do I really belong to you? Do I really have your spirit alive in me? 
Is Jesus Christ in me and living through me? Is it clear? Is it obvious? Or could it be <laughs> you're a part of my nightmare that wakes me up fairly regularly? And that's my worst nightmare. And the Lord's, I think he's going to say, how come you weren't clear? How come you didn't say it more boldly? How come, how come you didn't say it more often? Well, I, I'm saying it loud and clear and as bold as I know how. Don't let this judgment be yours. Don't let this be your destiny. Let's pray. Lord, there is no other choice, decision that's more important, more critical in all of life. So as we ask these hard questions, Lord, would you help us? Because Jeremiah tells us our hearts are deceitful above all things. We can even fool ourselves and even believe lies. Would you make yourself clear right now? Jesus, am I truly born again? Are you alive and living in me? Is there evidence that your spirit is working and active in me? Speak, Lord. We're listening right now. Anyone say as we close, you know what? I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I belong to Jesus. I'm not sure there's much evidence that Jesus and his spirit are in me. And what we just looked at in Revelation 20, the great white throne judgment, <laughs> I don't want any part of that. I want to know Jesus. I want to know that my name is in the Lamb's book of life. I want to follow Jesus and say yes to the cross, say yes to his shed blood for my sin problem. I want to say yes to the empty tomb. And right now, I want to receive Jesus as my Savior, Lord, King. And I'm ready to live a life where I fear him and I live in obedience to his commandments. Is there anybody who'd say, not sure? Pray for me, Pastor Jeff. Pray with me. Even as we close right now. Anybody? Anybody? Could be you're a follower of Christ, but uh, again, there's a judgment for us as well. It's all about uh, how we'll be rewarded or not rewarded by our activity, by our words, by our behavior. Jesus, help me to start daily walking with you, living strong for you, leaning strong into your book, staying filled with your spirit, because that's where gold and silver and precious stones live. It's built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord.
thanks for the book of Ecclesiastes. It's been a delight to dig it together in your book. We love you. We're glad to be your children. It's in Jesus' strong name we pray every one of these things. Thank you.